All right, good morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, and we have finished the book of Galatians and are moving into 1 Kings, but a lot of times between books, I'll, I'll go back and preach a text that I, I love and I think is pertinent for where we are. And so Hebrews 3 and 4 is, is that very thing. Hebrews really is, it's all about the greatness and the glory of who Christ is. You know, we don't, we're not sure who the author is, but they're, what they're attempting to do is show that Jesus is far greater, and they start with angels, then they move to Moses. And then he gives an example of what he's talking about, the greatness of who Christ is, and he give, brings us back to the story of Israel that did not enter into God's rest, the promised land, because of their sin. And he gives a warning. Jesus is the rest for God's people. Jesus is the reconciliation for God's people. And he warns us, watch your heart, that sin doesn't keep you from the rest that you have in Christ in the same way that sin kept Israel and an entire generation out of the promised land. So we're going to really look at two different texts from Hebrews 3 and then Hebrews 4. But if you would look with me at Hebrews 3, and we're going to start at verse 12, and we'll just read down a few verses. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Stop there. Please pray with me. Father, it's, it's a sobering thought that uh, we are born-again believers. If we know Christ, the Spirit dwells in us. He's renovating us, yet we all have deceptive pockets in our life. Sin deceives us. There, there are major areas, logs in our life that we do not see, that others around us see so clearly, that keep us from the joy of having greater fellowship with other Christians and the joy of richer communion with Jesus. Father, I pray two things now. I, I pray that as the believer hears this text, that they would have a holy boldness and love and courage to come to other Christians, fill with the Holy Spirit, like Galatians 6 says, in gentleness to restore and correct. Father, and I also pray for our own hearts that we would be approachable. We would not be a people that are so put out, so easily offended when corrected. But God, we would have a thankful heart when someone sees what we don't see in our own heart, the things that keep us from greater joy and intimacy with Christ. Use your word to transform us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, what this text really describes, it's, it's a process. It's a road that sin is seeking to take every believer down, and, and the end is, is hardness. And, and what that means is the end is a, a separation from the Lord. I, I've seen this many times, and one of the most profound cases that you might say that I've seen it in was 
a sweet Christian woman who was deeply involved in immigrant ministry, had a wonderful, godly family, and then suddenly she became an empty nester. And she began to be bored and lonely. Suddenly she began to develop a relationship with a man that she worked with at her school. She began to notice how this man treated people in a kind and gracious way. How he treated her. That the, the questions that he asked her were genuine, were thoughtful, were penetrating. The kind of questions that she wanted her husband and the kind of interest that she wanted him to take in her life. Well, one day he asked her to go to coffee, and she decided to go. She said yes. And, and there, sitting, having coffee, they had amazing conversation. She said, you know, he really understands me. You know, with my kids leaving, I, I could use another good friend in my life, she says. It wasn't long after that before he drove her home from school. And as they were driving, he reached over and took hold of her hand. He told her, he said, you know, your relationship and your friendship with me is the most significant and important of my life. Hmm, she thought, I wish I was not married. Maybe I married the wrong man. And then her mind began to dream of another life. Now, at the same time, the Spirit was convicting her. She was becoming more and more uneasy, but she continued to go forward, saying, I've done nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with having a friendship. If anything, it's my husband's fault. Slowly, she distanced herself from her husband. She distanced herself from her church, from her Christian friends. She was adrift. Now, I want to ask you, what do you do when that person is your spouse? Or that person is your child. Or that person is your close friend. Well, Hebrews 3 tells us that first sin is very deceptive. And that there's a progression, isn't there, or a road that it is trying to take the believer's life down. Away from God. Away from believers. Away from the church. Away from the safety. Towards a hardened place. And when this happens, and you see it happen, we are to exhort others with truth. And that means literally we are to hold up to them the mirror of God's Word so that they can see how they're being deceived through the Word. They can see clearly and then run back to Christ for restoration. Now when I say the word exhort, <laughs> that's not a word that we just... Love to hear, is it? And, and what it means is bringing truth where change is needed. Yet most act unpositively when we hear it. So, for example, if I was to call you and I'd say, hey, listen, uh, Chris, I want to come over tomorrow, tomorrow morning, and I've got to exhort you. You wouldn't call your friends and say, man, I'm so excited. Pastor called me and said, he's coming over tomorrow for a big exhorting. It's going to be awesome. In fact, it's the greatest thing that's happened to me all morning. I can't wait. You see, when we think of exhorting, a lot of times what we think of is harsh words, right? The principal of your school. Or red faces. Or threats. We don't think of acting patiently 
and committedly with God's Word to someone's best, speaking in gentleness and love to restore them. But friends, that's, that's what the Scripture here calls us to do in each other's lives. So here's our main idea this morning, that we must hold up the mirror of God's Word to each other. And another way to say that is we are to exhort each other with the truths of God's Scripture. Now let's talk about what that looks like. There's three things. First is this. Our, Our hearts are full of deceptive sin. My heart is and your heart is as well. Look in your Bibles with me there, chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. I'd like to read that once more. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, look at those first words. Notice what he says. Take care, brothers. You see that word brother? He's talking about believers, isn't he? He's talking to Christians. And he's giving us a warning. To take care means to beware. There's real danger here. And that's part of the reason he gave us the whole example of Israel. And now he's saying, look, their heart was hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. They did not enter into the rest. You learn and take care. Okay, you might ask, well, what am I to beware of take care of? Notice the scripture. Lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Do you see the progression there? Sinful, unbelieving heart, turning away, hardened in the end. Here is the road of sin, the work of sin in our life, if undealt with. If allowed to rule the heart, this is where it takes us. And it's a gradual turning away from God, from His grace, from our relationships with other believers. And the ultimate goal of sin is to isolate you, to give you a hardened heart and separation from worship, the living God. Okay, you might be thinking, okay, Rusty, how could this happen to a Christian? Because I recognize that road. I've seen that in my life, and I've certainly seen those same patterns in other people's lives. How can that happen? Verse 13. Notice, we're hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So on the cross, yes, Jesus destroyed the power of sin in our lives, right? Romans 6, we're no longer slaves to sin. It's no longer our master. But its presence still remains, And yes, it is being eradicated, replaced with glory. You might say we're being renovated by the Holy Spirit, aren't we? Yet while sin remains in my life, which is all my days, we must remember one thing. It is deceitful. That means it blinds us from seeing our own hearts and wants to blind us from the things of God, and wants to keep you from seeing and beholding and worshiping the beauty and the glory of who Christ is. That's its goal. Therefore, we all have pockets of spiritual blindness in our lives. And that's why Jesus says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't see the log in your own eye? And the reason is because sin is deceptive. It's blinding. 
we never judge our own hearts, our own motives, our own actions accurately. Now, the lady I spoke of earlier, I saw this deception, and so did many others in her life so clearly. She went down that road. She went from sin, unbelief, turning away, to the end, she was hard. There was no talking to her about the things of God or about her children being restored or about her sin. Now, today, she's out of the church. She's out of her marriage. She's not in the relationship she thought would make her happy. She's destroyed the relationship with her children. She lives alone and alienated. And what is remarkable, if you ask her, she'll tell you she did nothing wrong. It was her husband. And certainly he had sin in his life, and he played a part of it. But she was deceived, and still is today. You know, we see ourselves like in a circus mirror. Never accurately do we. And since we all have these pockets of sin remaining in our lives, and it is deceptive, that means we all have pockets of spiritual blindness. There are no haves and have-nots here. Deceptive sin is in all Christians, working, blinding us, taking us down that road, getting us to believe our own arguments and our own lies. Now, there is someone who does see us perfectly. That takes us to point two. God alone knows the hidden things of the heart. Look in chapter 4 with me in verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. No creature, every person, our hearts are open to our Creator. He reads every thought, He knows every feeling. He knows every motivation for why you do what you do. There are no hidden agendas with him. We are like an open book to our creator. There was a court case in America years ago where a mother was murdered. You might remember the case. And the husband was quite angry and quite bitter with her. And so he threatened and tried to take her diary and to publish all of it because he knew what was in it. And it was somewhat incriminating to her character. All her most intimate desires, all of her fears, all of her longings, all of her sins. Her parents were fearful of the shame that might happen to their daughter's name until they tried to stop him by taking him to court. Now, can you imagine if your most intimate thoughts your most private, secluded sins, feelings were published for all your friends, your family, everybody in the world to see and to know. You probably wouldn't want to go to work. You probably wouldn't want to go to school. And what's amazing is verse 15 and verse 16. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in times of need. My friends, he sees 
it all. The things that repulse us, the things that bring so much shame in our life and would make us remove ourselves from relationships, from institutions. And he sees it all, yet in Christ he said, you still are my beloved child. Draw close. You have a high priest whose sacrifice is sufficient for all of it. I see it, I know it, and I tell you, come near. Don't turn away. Now, what does he do with that? This brings us to point three. God shows it to us. He doesn't just keep it, his purview to himself. He reveals it to you. Chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Look there in your Bibles with me. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Notice that. God shows it to us through the word. Notice that word, it's alive. It means that it has power through the spirit. It comes alive in our lives. And then there's another word there, it's active, which means it's effective, it has results. It it reminds me of several times when I would go hunting in New Zealand with a couple of old farmers, and there would be a wire crossing, and he would say, watch that wire, it's hot. And what he meant was there's electricity come through it, and if you touch it, it's going to have an effect on you. It's active, it's alive. And what the Bible says is, the Bible itself, the Scripture claims, is not just a dead book, but the Holy Spirit makes it alive to the believer, making it powerful and effective when applied to our lives. Okay? So if it's alive, what does it do? Look in your Bibles with me. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. Do you see those words? Piercing to the division. Here's the main point. It's like a two-edged sword, which would have been the sharpest weapon of the day. The word passes through us. It reaches our hearts. There's no outer hardness that can keep it at bay. Nothing stands in its way. And that's the reason he uses those two words, joints and marrow. Joints meaning there's nothing so strong like a joint. There's nothing so hidden like bone marrow, that it cannot reach. You see, he's saying there's no place, there's no pain, there's no shame, no secrets, so deep, so unhealable, so troublesome, that the Word of God cannot reach and heal and restore. Now notice, it doesn't just reach it, it reveals it to us. Look in your scripture. Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, the word's like a mirror. It reveals the deception, what's really going on in our lives. And here is where we need to put all this together, friends. We are often deceived by our own sin. It blinds us so we can't see what's going on, why we do the things that we do, why we have conflict with other people, why we're in this trench or rut that we can't get out in our actions, God sees it. 
He sees it all. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, be encouraged, there's nothing that can't be revealed to you and brought then to Christ. How do we think and live this? How do you take this from your head to your heart? Well, the big idea is to see yourself clearly, to understand yourself, to understand what is controlling your heart, why you do what you do. You must see yourself not just through your own eyes and your own opinions, but through the mirror of God's Word. And as a Christian, we have the ministry of the Word in a lot of forms, don't we? The preach Word, private times of study, praying God's Word, the sacraments. But there's another one that's quite crucial, and it's being exhorted with the Word from other Christians. Verse 13, notice his application. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. (laughs) I'll never forget when I was at university, and after I finished college, I decided to uh, go to overseas for a while into the mission field and I was sharing with one particular church and I said something like this. I said, you know, I've been accepted into this mission program and there were some 2,000 people that applied for it and just a handful got accepted. And everyone went, wow, that's amazing. This sounds great. And the next week, a good friend of mine who happened to be there came up to me and he said, Rusty, where did you get the number 2,000? And I said, well, the mission agency said a lot of people applied. And he said, you know, a lot could have been 40. He said, you know, that was sin. You were lying to make yourself look good. And then he opened the word that I might see my own heart. And at first, I was bitter. I was angry with him. And then the word went to work. And I realized that I often exaggerated stories to make myself look better. Now, he probably exhorted me 20 times over a three-year period. It wasn't every day, though it felt like every day, but it changed my life. And my friend was modeling something that every Christian is called to, to exhort, to hold up the mirror of God's Word to other believers. Now, let's close with this. What does that look like? First, it looks like courageous love. It looks like you having the love and the willingness to, to Take up the mirror of God's Word in someone's life. Now, this is not calling you to spiritual rebuke, the gift of spiritual rebuke. doesn't mean that you're called to be the junior Holy Spirit. It means this. Insight into people's life and growth and sanctification comes in community. I need you to really see my own heart. I need you to courageously love me when you see me going down that road to hold up God's Word and exhort me to run back to the arms of Christ. And so I want to encourage you, love each other, which means when the Holy Spirit shows you a blind area in another's life and you see them moving away from Christ, You must bring truth where change is needed. Scripture tells us then exactly how to do this. Full of the Holy Spirit and in gentleness. That takes us to point two. You yourself need to be approachable. You need to be exhortable. 
Realize in your own life that change and growth is needed. Receiving correction is one of the hardest things for us. Nothing will make people leave a Sunday school class or a church or a discipleship group like showing them where they need correction and turning. Why? Because it reveals the hidden pride of our hearts. You see, to grow and know Christ, we must be able to receive correction with a thankful heart. Sanctification is painful, but the end is greater joy because we draw closer to Christ. Here's the third thing. Let's close here. Run to the cross. When God shows you things that you have been blinded to, you've been deceived, and the Word reveals those, they've been hidden, it's painful. And I want to encourage you, run to the throne of grace. To find grace and mercy in your time of need, run to Him seeking His forgiveness for what you've done and asking Him then to remove it, but rejoicing that to every believer, His throne is a throne of grace. And for you in Christ, His grace is sufficient for the depths of any deception or sin that's revealed in your life. Father, I praise you right now. Um, We don't whip ourselves when we see things. We don't mortify ourselves. Oh God, we we run to you. Thank you, Father, that you are actively working in every believer, transforming us, pruning us. Lord, and you use the church, you use other Christians. First, give us the courage. Lord, give us the courage. Give us the gentleness. Fill us full of the Holy Spirit to take your word and see brothers and sisters restored, turning away, Father, from unbelief, from hardness, from their sin. Father, secondly, I pray just like I prayed earlier, give us the humility. Help us to be humble enough to receive correction with thanksgiving as other believers might point out things in our lives. Sanctify us, make us Christ-like because we know that is where great joy is found and that is how we glorify you in a more significant way. It's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. I invite you to stand together again. We'll close by